this morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you have those with you. Let's see if my, uh uh-oh, let's see. I'll see if my thingamajig works. If it doesn't, guess what? You're you're getting paid today, right? You're doing it. Um, This morning, if you have your Bibles, 1 John. We'll be back in 1 John, and we're in chapter 4, starting in chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 6, so it's 1 John 4, 1 through 6 this morning. 1 John 1 through 6, let me get there myself. This morning's title for our sermon is Test 9. It is the test, the test of spiritual discernment. The test of spiritual discernment. Now, as you're getting there, I want to show you uh, something. I like uh, when it comes to people who, uh, there was a TV show used to come on called White Collar, and there was this guy who basically, he was kind of like, he would go, and he he was an artist, and he was a forger, and um, he was really, really, really good at it. Here's the thing. There was a guy by the name of Sean Greenhalla, right? And he's in in, uh, Great Britain area in in the, uh, the United Kingdoms. He was a British art forger. All right, he's the he was the real deal, the real deal when it comes to doing these type of things. Over a 17 year period, between 1989 and 2006, uh, Mr. Sean here produced a phenomenal range of forgeries. Now he literally did 44 forgeries. What I don't have in here is some of the pictures that he actually painted with his hand. They are phenomenal. But he did 44 forgeries, and he teamed up with his elderly parents who fronted the sales side of the operation, unassuming. He successfully sold his fakes internationally. And listen to this. He sold his fakes internationally to some of the top museums in the world. All right? He, he sold them at auction houses with all of their uh, uh, experts, and yes, he even dabbled in private buyers, accruing over 1.5 million pounds in those days. Sean Greenhall has been described by Scotland Yard, and I quote Scotland Yard, and they say that he is possibly the most diverse forger in the world, and then they added this, ever, ever. There's nothing cool about that. There's something kind of cool about that, (laughs) right? It's sinful. It's wrong, but he's talented, right? He's a talented sinner, okay? However, when they attempted to sell three Assyrian reliefs under the same MO as he had previously, suspicions were raised. Now, before I tell you why and how the suspicions were raised, let me tell you something else about him. The reason why I'm so impressed He did all his works in his backyard in his grass-cutting shack. Literally, he had paintings, brothers and sisters, that somehow or another he made a concoction and made the paint look like it was 500 years old. The guy was able to do things with a stroke and the thing. He made it look thousands of years old in regards to his Assyrian relic. This guy was horribly cool, right? But here's the thing, 
This was due, he got caught, he got caught because of a diacritical mark. Don't worry, I'll tell you what that means. A diacritical mark. When found as a fake, he was then apprehended and sentenced to prison for four years, eight months in November of 2007. He is since out and he's doing some stuff, even in art. But here's the thing. The thing is, a diacritical mark, you need to know what that means. We call that, like in Judaism, if you think of the Bible and Scripture, it's a jot and a tittle. We say in English, you better, hey, you better, you better, cross, your, you better cross your T's and dot your what? Your I's, right? The problem with these reliefs, his Assyrian release, was literally, this guy was so good that he got caught because he forgot to put a period somewhere. Right? Your sins will find you out. He might be a good sinner, but he still got caught, right? All right, children, remember that. He is really cool, but he still went to jail, okay? All right, the thing is, is that that is what got him caught. If you remember, I said a couple weeks ago, and sadly today, many who call themselves Christians seem unable, as Charles Spurgeon said, unable to tell the difference between right, and you remember, almost right. That is the issue of Christianity today, unable to, Honestly, to see, to find that diacritical mark when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to truth, when it comes to the gospel. So this morning, what I want us to do is, if we can, I want us to look at 1 John, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And if we can, in reverence of God's word, why don't we stand as we read this together this morning, if we can. God's word says before us, beloved, don't you just love the language of John here? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the spirit of truth. By this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let us pray one more time. Father God, be with us this morning. We love you. We thank you for this word that is before us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in relation to your word, that we would not depart from it, that it would not depart from us. Lord God, help us to be tethered closely as Christians, but also as a church in regards to this word. Your word is truth. Your word is power. Your word is a light unto our path, O Lord. We love you. We thank you for it. Be with us now as we study it together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. From this morning's text, I have only two. We have only have two uh, kind of points that we'll try to make in stepping through this text together. Those, and I put three, don't worry about that. I scratched one out and forgot to put the two, okay? Two points from today's text is this. Number one, we are given 
a warning and we are given a command. We'll see this in verse 1. And number 2, we are given three needed tools or tests. And we'll see this in 2, 4, and 6. But first, as we start this morning, we want to look at one. One, we see a warning and we have a command here before us in our text. If you see with me once again, it's up here on the screen. You can look with your Bibles as well. Verse 1 says, Beloved, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here in verse 1, we have a warning. The warning is right before us, do not believe every spirit. All right, or actually, that is the command. The command is, do not believe every spirit. And then we have the command, sorry, test the spirits. A warning, do not believe every spirit. A command, test the spirits. Now, what I want you to know that is from our text this morning, the word spirit that you have before us comes from the Greek word pneuma. And pneuma literally means, hey, listen to this, a breath. Literally, it's a a wind, a breath. You could call it uh, the subtlety of a whisper. And our text this morning says, do not believe every spirit and also test the spirits. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 is going to be a very important text for us as we'll look at it at the very end of this morning's sermon. But in it, I want you to hear something when it talks about uh, the spirit, what are we supposed to be mindful of and, and, and that we are supposed to not believe and that we're supposed to test. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every, listen to this, wind of doctrine, every of teaching, every of doctrine. Be careful. It's, it's not a scream of doctrine, if you notice that. It's not the yelling of doctrine. It's the wind of doctrine. It's the subtleties of the whisper, the, the breath of what is taught. You see, brothers and sisters, we grow as Christians not in lies, but in the truth. If I have my water bottle this morning, and I have it filled to this point, which is pretty full, and I'm really thirsty, and Mr. Eric says to me, uh, look, i tell you what, Kyle, I, was, um, uh, I know you're thirsty. I've got your water bottle here. It's got water in it. I, the only thing I saw was, I think, that two drops of uh, arsenic poison fell into it. But, I mean, it's only two drops. So, drink up, right? I'm going to look at Mr. Eric and say, thank you for your kindness. I will pass, right? Because it doesn't matter the amount inside my cup it can still kill me it can still kill me there's not enough dilutedness in the water that will it will still affect me in some form and measure brothers and sisters there's a wind of doctrine there is a point in which the little the little droplets of non-truth i've always said this you may have heard this before a whole a half truth is always a whole lie a half-truth is always a whole lie. 
If you remember, Jesus Christ speaks of this issue of a little to a lot ratio. A lot of good, maybe a little bit of bad. If you remember, what does he say about the leaven of the dough, right? The Pharisees were like, the teachings that they taught was a little leaven. And what happens with the leaven? What does it do with an entire batch? It spoils the batch. It has the power to spoil the batch. So this morning, it says that we are not to believe every spirit, not every wind of doctrine, not every teaching. Then it says something else. It commands us action or to, uh, to test the spirits. And it's the word test comes from the Greek word, and it's active. It's like it's, it's actively pursuing and doing something. It means, as you can probably guess in English, to test. It means to examine. It means to prove, to recognize as genuine after examination, to deem worthy. Think about the old prospectors uh, used to go to California during the gold, the gold rush. You remember that little saying that they said when they struck gold? What is it? Eureka! Eureka! I've found it. It is good. I've struck gold. You know how many men in those mountains screamed Eureka only to find out that what they had before them is something called fool's gold? Right? It's an excitement. It's a fervency. I've found something. It is good only for it not to be as good as what we believe or imagine. There are a lot of people who come to the truth of God's word, his spirit, And they may in one moment say, Eureka! Question is, has it been tested? Has it been proven? Has it been studied in order to know that it actually is good? That it actually is good. The word test here, if I want you to kind of get a visual in your mind, is like digging down deep with like a telescope, you know, or excuse me, a microscope. You kind of you kind of do this, you do do this, and, and and Anna. Sorry, I don't have to put you on the spot. She doesn't like to be put on the spot. I, I learned that Anna is finishing her doctorate's degree. This morning, I already knew that. But I did not know that she gets paid to do that. Did you all know that? She's going to hate me. She's going to get me today. She gets paid to do that. Do you ever look in, like, microscopes and try to figure out things? Do you do that in your line of work? You get paid to do that, right? So what happens? What happens I'm never going to have that job, okay? But what happens is that there's this idea of a microscope. You, You zoom in in order to study a thing, to know the 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 reality or the makeup or the truth of a thing. And so that's what John is saying. Look, do not believe every wind of doctrine, but test as to zoom in to study it, to know for certain that this is true. John has called us to do. And so here we are before us. Every religious idea, brother and sister, every religious ideology, every teaching has a spiritual source, and there are only two spiritual realities. There is the Spirit of God, from our text, there is the Spirit of this age, which is Satan's spirit. Satan's spirit continually wages war, a perpetual war, against the truth of God. His desire is to make people ignorant of the truth, make them doubt the truth, cause them to distort the truth, and even outrightly, listen, deny the truth. 
One of my favorite authors of all time, J.C. Ryle, has spoken of this and said, That old enemy of mankind, meaning the devil, has no more subtle device for ruining souls than that of spreading false doctrine. End. Outside the church, he is ever persuading men to maintain destructive superstitions. Like a pirate, his object is to sink, to burn, and destroy. Inside the church, he is ever laboring to sow heresies, to propagate errors, to faster departures from the truth. If he cannot prevent the waters flowing from the fountain of life, he tries hard to poison them. Drip, drip. If he cannot destroy the medicine of the gospel, praise God he cannot. He will strive to adulterate and or corrupt it. You need to know something about Satan. I want to tell you a secret. You may or not have figured this out. Satan creates nothing. Satan is a worthy adversary, but he ain't that good. God creates, and all Satan does is emulate and corrupt. And God has something that is good. Satan comes and he seeks to corrupt it. And that is exactly what Satan would try to do in the church throughout history, and yes, even in our own day. You see, anything other than the truth, any ideology and philosophy, any theory, any viewpoint, any religion other than the truth is, listen, demonic. It's demonic. It's demonic. However, why is it that so many who call themselves Christians these days often seem to be so susceptible to error? Why are those who call themselves believers so duped into feeling out these things and believing these things for themselves? And I would suggest to you this morning three reasons, okay? Three reasons why Christians, those who profess to love God and have truth on their side, fall for such things. Number one, and I say this with all the kindness and compassion I can muster, it could be, it could be, it could be. Many are still in unbelief. In other words, they come, they came or come into religion, but they have not experienced in their religion true conversion. I mean, hello, is that anybody in this room who's ever done that? That was me before I came to know Christ. I was firmly established in my religion. I just wasn't firmly established in my conversion to Jesus Christ. It can happen, and it does happen. Could it be that we fall for error so often because, honestly, we're doing church at the expense of actually being a part of the church? It could happen. It could happen. Number two, hey, don't get mad at me. We're all guilty of this at some point. Many of us may be simply sometimes lazy. There's a reason why the Bible says to be vigilant, to stand guard, as to guard the deposit of faith in ourselves and ourselves. And so what happens is when we are not when we are not when we're being lazy, we're not we're not doing the study. You remember the testing, the zooming in, the doing the research. That takes time, that takes energy. It was eh, you know, whatever. I did this thing, I'm good. Philippians 1 6 says, He who began a good work in you will see it to completion, correct? So we say, Hey, it's cool, it's fine, I'm fine. I got all everything I need. Question is, could this be, could this possibly, maybe, could this be one of the reasons why even Christians fall so easily for the wind, the spirit that is not of God? 
And number three, and finally, maybe some are still, here, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Some of us may still be babes in Christ. That, that's okay. We're just simply babes in Christ. We're, our relationship with Christ has not matured past the point of where we are to where we need to be. I learned this lesson um, in a way that I wish I had not learned this lesson when I was a missionary to Indonesia. There was a, a, there was a Chinese believing a fellowship with Indonesians that were a part of it, and they met in a home and had a home Bible study or a church group. They asked me to come and speak uh, the first night, and I went the first night, and they had um, some teaching and some things that they thought as believers that I thought I felt personally a little dangerous to believe. They had some authors and people that they were getting a lot of their teaching from. And as I was looking, I was going, oh, my goodness, this is not good. This is not solid stuff. I went and I had that moment with them in that teaching scenario. They were asking me to talk about what they believe and what, and what, and what I was saying. They were asking lots of questions. My wife, I went home, and she asked me, she said, do you believe that those people there, that church, that they're believers? And I, to my shame, said something that I've always regretted and I still regret. You remember, Misty? I said, I have a hard time believing that any one of those were believers. After all, Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. They've been Christians for all this time, and yet they believe all these false, these falsehoods, these heresies, these, these, these winds of doctrines in the name of Christianity. How is it that God, if he began a good work in them, will see, how is it that they still believe this? Won't the Holy Spirit teach and help them to understand? That was my answer. It sounded biblical enough. They invited me to come back a second time. I began to teach. Walked away. They invited me a third time. I think I went back like four times. On the fourth night, the last night, whichever one that was, this whole group of people sat back as I, as I took the time every these weeks to pour myself into helping them to understand and to teach and show scripturally what these things were you know that what happened was that entire group of people they burned all their books the ones that they said was not the truth of god's word they said literally they said we have learned that this is the gospel and what we have been believing is not the gospel my wife says to me when i went home do you still believe that they were never believers and i with other shame in my heart I had to look at her and say, they were always believers. See, the thing about the Spirit of God in us is it loves the truth. Amen? These brothers and sisters, they were immature in their faith, surely. They loved God and they loved the gospel, but they had not been introduced to anything other than what they've ever heard. But when they heard the truth, guess what they did? They didn't fight because of the truth. They submitted and loved the truth. Amen? God's people love the truth. God's spirit in us loves the truth. These were my brothers and sisters, and to my shame, I was too spiritually immature to see it. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, listen to this, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Did you hear that in that text? Powers of discernment 
trained by constant what? Practice. It's a doing of a thing. Discernment, you need to know something, church, really quickly, is two things. Discernment, true spiritual discernment, is spiritual for sure, and it is also physical. In other words, we are drawn to the truth. We have the truth because God's word is truth. We love truth, but at the same time, we have to do something with that, don't we, sometimes? We have to have that desire to pick it up, to study it, to test whether it is. And I would say that that testing for us in the church is by deep study and training by, listen, the word of God. I remember hearing the analogy once of someone who worked for the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, they, it was basically the mint where they print up money. And this individual was really, really, really good at spotting fakes all the time. And fake bills and fake notes would go across this person's desk and like a machine literally would go, fake, real, 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 fake, real, 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 fake. Someone once asked, how, what do you study? How do you study to be able to be that good at spotting out all the fake things that come across your, do you have to study how people, are, the ink, do you study how people are printing? Are you studying how they do this, how to do that? And the response to the, the person was this, no, all those are helpful, but all I've done all my life is studied the real thing so that when the fake thing comes across, I know the difference. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Let us enjoy, study the real thing. Let us not settle for a cheap imitation, but study and wait for the real thing. And then we see a reason. It's a part of the warning. Verse one, it says, because false prophets have gone out into the world. Second Peter two, one through three says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought, bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, listen to this, the way of truth be blasphemed, made a mockery. He goes on to say, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Because of them, the truth will be maligned. It will be a laughing stock in the day and age in which we live because of this type of leader or these churches or this form of Christianity that is literally immature in its state, its infancy. You see, when we were born, we were born in this cosmic battle between good and evil against light and darkness, against lies and the truth. God has not only saved you for his glory, as we just beautifully sang a second ago. He has not merely saved you because he loves you. He has saved you for service. Amen? He has saved us to be messengers and heralders of the truth. Saved us by the truth, changed us in the truth, and commissioned us to herald this truth. I would say, look around us today. Our God is becoming increasingly maligned and reduced to lies, and people all around us are believing them. God's name is being brought low, and people are going to hell. Yes, it's a very real place and a very real reality. 
going to hell apart from a saving work of Jesus Christ. And yet, many just stay silent. We're good. Make sure our kids are good. But outside of that, we're good. Due to fear, maybe, self-preservation, being too preoccupied by earthly affairs, I do not know. Brothers and sisters, with all the love I can muster, we must wake up. We must act. We must speak of these things. Because our silence, our silence on the matter, can become one of the most arrogant and hateful things that Christians should never be known for. You've all, you've all heard about sins of, uh, 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 that you commit, right? Sins of commission. It means the sins that you do, you do things, and they're bad things. Bad, no, don't do that anymore. Have you ever stopped to think about the sins of omission? We don't often think about those very often. We, we are hush-hush on those. Honestly, I think sometimes, well, there might be reasons for that, but let me tell you what John says in John 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Man, sin can get you on both sides of the coin, can it? What you do, you don't do. Church, let us not be doing sin, and let's not, not be doing in such a way that it becomes sin. Got to be careful. We can sin in our silence just as much as we can sin in our words. If we lose this love of the truth and ability to discern the truth and a willingness to declare the truth, then we are no longer relevant to Christianity any longer. What is the point and purpose of us even being here this morning? Worship. It's all about celebrating the truth and that truth being applied to us. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, through and then we'll be getting into our conclusion. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, listen, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Check this out. This is going to happen when you do this. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That looks different for all of us, but here's the thing. We have no greater summon and task on the earth than what the one that God has given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. And lastly, number two, point two is quicker. We see something before us. We are given three needed tools and tests. We see those spelled out in two, four, and six. Two. Verse 2 says, by this you know the Spirit of God, notice that is a capital S, in every spirit, small s, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. What I want you to know is that this first test is the test of the incar incarnation or Christology. Incarnation, all that means is God with us. That God was fully God and became fully man and did not lose his fulliness in either one of those things. 
that God came and dwelt among us. This is a test of what is real and what is true, what is the the spirit of the age and what is absolute spiritual truth. Before you must understand that Jesus is not only a prophet as Islam will tell you. See, we got a problem with incarnation here, don't we? We have a problem with Christology here. We're messing with it. False teachers always mess with this. They always mess with it. You see, Jesus is a good teacher, but not Messiah. Even our Jewish brothers and sisters apart from Christ will tell you, don't mess with this incarnation. Do not mess with the, with the Christology. Jesus is one of many deities, as the Hindus would proclaim. Jesus was created and not God in human flesh, as Mormons and Jehovah's Witness believe. Jesus is limited in what man allows him to be and do, subject to our own wants and desires like many Christian health and wealth prosperity preachers seem to like to try to do by making Jesus small and fitting him inside of our box. He will not fit in that box. Jesus was a good example and a teacher, but not to be worshipped, our atheist friends may say. When trying to spot a false teacher or the spirit of the age, you start always by asking about Jesus Christ. That's where you start. His character, his nature, his purpose, and his being. True spirit will glorify always Jesus Christ. Amen? It will make much of him. False. The false is always seeking to make less of Jesus, whether subtle or outright. Well, Jesus is God. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is all these things. But you know what? Let's just, let's just knock them down a little bit. Makes me feel a little bit more comfortable anyway. I get really nervous around Jesus who's bigger than me. All right? It's hard. I don't like Jesus being a little bit bigger. Maybe a little bit bigger, but not way bigger. So what do we have to do? What we have to do, the spirit of this age, is to bring Jesus down a couple rings so that man can feel more comfortable in his presence. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. That is the spirit of this age. That is the spirit of this age. We make much of Christ and we bask in the mercy and the grace that he would even call us son or daughter. He is good. Do you have discerning ears, brothers and sisters? Verse 4 and 5, listen to me, these three tests. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Man, what a beautiful promise. John 16, for in this world you have many trials and tribulations, but take heart. Guess what? I have already overcome the world. Hey, hey, church, oh, we win. Oh, we win. This is the test of regeneration. Because you are God's children, because you have the Holy Spirit, his spirit resides in you, you do not fall victim to deception and lies too very easily. We love the truth like my brothers in Indonesia and sisters in that fellowship that I thought wrongly about. They loved the truth. I loved the truth because they regenerated. They were converted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit resides in them, and so they love the truth. Therefore, we do not live a lie. The Spirit must be seen. There will be newness, new appetites, new loves, new things. This is reality of those who are preaching and teaching. Are they regenerate? 
test of the incarnation, Christology, the test of regeneration. See something about false teachers, I need you to know something. They have character flaws, like all of us. But false teachers specifically have a hard time hiding it for very long. Pay attention to their life. Pay attention to their, 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 their decisions. Pay attention to what they do and measure it in accordance to Scripture. False teachers have a hard time playing the part for a really, really long period of time. You know why? Because they ain't God. In verse 6, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the Spirit, capital S, meaning the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. In 1 John, John is speaking of what they teach, what they wrote to the churches. He's saying, you listen to our voice. You listen to what we teach. They will not. Brothers and sisters, the Bible may not be specifically to us, but we can learn from it all the time, and it's always for us. And I want you to know something. While John says they listen to us, this is how we know that they know the spirit of truth. They don't listen to us. What we need to know right now for us in this church is this. Do we listen to them? Do we listen by God's word, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the apostles themselves? We still have their teaching before us. And the test of those who are truly in the spirit of God is that they reside hook, line, and sinker, nose, deeply planted, microscope, totally zoomed in to this word. Amen? This word will know whether it is the spirit of error, the spirit of truth, by how well we connect everything that we do in the life of believers and as a church in ministry by this word alone. God's word is inerrant, which means there is no error. It, it is, it, it, but it's also something else, church. Listen to me. It's not only inerrant, it is also sufficient, which means it needs nothing else to make it applied rightly in the life of the church. Amen? Oh, my goodness, I hope our church is known for this. Literally, that group of people, they kind of dig God's Bible a lot because we do. We must. Biblical illiteracy is rampant today. And this does not change. Have y'all been looking around for quite a while? Does it feel like to you that everything's changing? Yes. His word never changes. And that is good news in a day and age which you can't grab a hold of anything and it be locked down. This is what we can hold on to, knowing it changes not. Remember I told you I was going to bring you back to Ephesians 4. Let's do it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, as I close, says there, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, listen to this, this is key, to equip the saints, meaning all of us, for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Yes, listen to me. Unity is built around, listen, not the wind of doctrine, but the truth of God's word. Unity is built around it. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, listen, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up 
grow up in every way until him who is the head into Jesus Christ. I want us to be able to test between spirits for our own church's strength and life and ministry. May it be so. But brothers and sisters, as I close, I want to be careful here because we're all, we're all susceptible to this. Randy is here. Randy does not care because I know his personality. Randy, how old are you? 57. Can you imagine if Randy has been a believer for over 30 some odd years? And as he sits here in the front row, he's still goo-gooing, gagaing. And now after the song was over, you actually got up and walked and went out into the nursery. Because honestly, that's, that's, that's the capacity that Randy can take when it comes to theology and doctrine. I don't mean that. But if you walked through the hallways, and when you've been in church, you've been here for 30 years, and Randy is still in the nursery room of faith, an adult man in the nursery, how weird would that look? How sickening <laughs> would that be? Randy, what are you doing in here? No? Randy, put down the Trisket cracker and get in big church, right? Brothers and sisters, I say this jokingly. That's not Randy. Randy's got a great mind about himself, okay? But just as sad, sickening that would be, my prayer is that we are not a church that settles nursery room of faith and that we're equipped and ready to stay there for 30 years. How many of you are dead in here? Good, if I see a hand raised, we need to call someone quick. You're not done, and I don't care how old you are. I don't, care, I don't care if you're a teenager in this room. I don't care if you are sick and you probably have, you, you might be dying in two weeks. God is not done with us until the day we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage us all, including the pastor, may we always have that microscope before us. May we be zooming in to un- discover what is true and may we be about giving that truth to people. For God's glory, for others' good, listen, for our joy, I pray. Let us pray together this morning. Father God, we come before you. God, we love you. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you have, you have rescued us from the spirit of this age. That we are not being blown around and about with every wind of doctrine and every, every uh, thing that our, cultural, our culture throws at us. Maybe even in the realm of Christianity. We have a new book on the shelf. We have a new program. God, your word is truth. May we find ourselves tethered closely, aligned with it constantly. May we test, test to see what is true. We not believe everything that comes across our spiritual vision. But Lord God, give us. I, I pray, you, you ask, you say, ask for wisdom and you give it. Lord, I ask for us, the pastor, everyone in this church to have wisdom. Yes, Lord. But I also pray a part of that wisdom is discernment. God, would you give us true spiritual discernment and may we be the instruments for your glory that you call us to be. The day is dark. Times are weird. 
and you are on your throne still. We love you. We thank you. Use us for your glory, O God, I do pray. Amen. Amen.